Good afternoon. I'm your host, Jimmy Kim, and you're watching the greatest show on the planet, The Jimmy Kim Show. To the audience out there today, thank you so much for tuning in. We have an excellent show in store for you. I'm interviewing seven-term former U.S. Congressman Ted Poe and also a former Harris County judge as well. And he was actually in office while President Donald Trump, Barack Obama, and George W. Bush were in the White House. So we're going to go ahead and get things rolling, and we're going to start. Congressman Ted Poe, go ahead and introduce yourself. <laughs> well, good to see you, Jimmy. Thank you for having me on your on your show. Appreciate it's a pleasure. It very much. Yeah. So go ahead and give the audience to the audience members that are not familiar with who Ted Poe is. Just go ahead and give them some uh, background information about yourself. Oh, sure. I uh, uh, I am Ted Poe. I have always been in public service. Uh, main reason is because my grandmother told me to be in public service when I was a child. So I uh, taught school, uh, spent some time in the Air Force. I went to law school and uh, became a prosecutor in the district attorney's office in, here in Houston, Harris County. Loved being a prosecutor, uh, chief felony prosecutor, and was there for eight years. Um, and then I uh, decided uh, I would see if I could get into the political realm, realm and I uh, was first appointed and then elected in 1981 and 82 to a criminal district court bench here in Harris County. Um, I understand that I was the youngest judge in the state of Texas when I got appointed. I was 32 years old? 32, yes. Wow. And uh, spent uh, 22 years uh, at the courthouse trying criminal cases, felonies, serious crime. And then I resigned and ran for, uh, ran for Congress in 2004 and spent uh, 14 years in the United States Congress. So that's always in politics here in the uh, here in Houston, Texas, uh, kids were raised here. Four kids, twelve grandkids, and uh, that must be a handful. Oh, it is. <laughs> yes, uh, it is a handful. When I went to Congress, our our four kids were all single, and then while I was in Congress, they got married, had twelve grandkids, and so all all that happened fourteen years. And uh, we call uh, we call our grandkids by their birth number, not just their name, but I call them by their birth number. And uh, so always in public service. And, and have enjoyed it, thought I uh, um, should do uh, something for the community instead of to the community. Uh, I think we have too many politicians who want to do something to the community rather than for the community. Right, or for themselves. Or for themselves. They're there in it for themselves. A lot of them are. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Now, did you enjoy being a judge more or a congressman? Because we had a little discussion about that before the show. <laughs> You're like, Jimmy, please tell them I'm a judge, <laughs> first and foremost. <laughs> I think I enjoyed being a judge. Uh, I enjoyed both of them. They're completely okay. different. As a judge, uh, and especially in criminal court, you know, you have the only vote. You make the decision, uh, and it affects everybody in the courtroom. It affects the, uh, the defendant, the victim, um, the community. It affects everybody. Uh, and, and you can make one-on-one -on -one decisions that affect people for the rest of their lives. Uh, in the courthouse, you, you have that privilege. And then when you're a member of Congress, you've got to play well with others. Right. Uh, you don't have the only vote. You've got just one of many, you know, 435 members of Congress. you just got one of 435. So it's a little bit different. You have to work. You have to get along with other people to get legislation passed for the greater good of uh, of your district and, of course, uh, the United States as well. 
different. But I enjoyed being a judge for that reason. But I also enjoyed being in, in Congress because I could, I felt like that I could do more um, on a larger scale. With yes, on a larger scale in Congress. Right. So since you were a, f a former judge, what are your thoughts about the current situation in Harris County and how cr cr crime rates are increasing right now? My own personal opinion is that the judges here in Harris County are doing something other than being a judge. They're being a politician. And Texas is u very unique about uh, judges. Judges in Texas are elected, and they're elected on a partisan basis. It's always been that way. Most states, judges are appointed usually by the governor. They get a uh, retention every five to 15-year vote uh, by, the, by the public, yes or no vote, and if they lose, they're, somebody else is appointed. But in Texas, they run party lines. Uh, I think that's good because the voters ought to decide who their judges are. Not a blue-ribbon committee. Uh, so-called Blue Ribbon Committee, get them appointed by, through the governor's office. The public ought to decide. So I like the system. But uh, we've gotten to a point now where uh, I think judges quit, have quit being judges and they've become politicians. Uh, the purpose of a judge is to administer justice. So what is that? The justice means that that decision must mean something to the person charged, must mean something to the victim, and it must mean something to the community. So often, you pick up the newspaper, you see somebody go to the courthouse and they're convicted and people are frustrated because they don't think justice took place. Right. And as a judge, I wanted to make sure that justice took place. One of those things is you have to hold people, people accountable for what they do. Absolutely. And uh, our system of justice is hold people accountable for what they do. We can understand why people commit crime. We know all the reasons why people commit crime. But you cannot excuse criminal con conduct just because you understand what uh, that criminal conduct is. And I've heard all the excuses. Uh, I, I, I took notes for, for years of the excuses that I've heard people make about why they commit the crime. So each of us are personally responsible for the decisions we make. Hold people accountable. And the more serious the decision uh, choice that a person makes, the more serious the consequence. That's the only way we have stability order and justice in this community. I don't think judges are holding people accountable for what they do. They let them go. They excuse their conduct. They find some reason, usually a political reason, to excuse their conduct, and that breaks down the judicial system, the justice system, and the consequences of that is those people continue that type of activity. And thus, we live in a society which many citizens, good folks, uh, live in fear of what's going to take place because People who violate the law continue to do it, continue to get caught, and continue to get out of jail and do it again. Hold people accountable. And uh, so I, I think that's a problem, a problem we have here in our community. Judges are not doing that. Many judges are not. That's very interesting. Yeah, because as you said, if there's no consequences for committing crime, then these people are not scared, as you said. Right, that's, that's right. It's yeah. a choice. Everybody right. has a choice whether to commit a crime or not. Absolutely. It, and we understand why they make bad choices, but we cannot let them get away with the bad choice. The judge must interfere, intervene, and get the attention of the offender so that that conduct does not repeat itself. Otherwise, we don't have any order in the community. Right. Yeah, because when I walk around these communities and neighborhoods, I just I don't see any kids playing outside anymore. And it's kind of sad because people are living in fear. They uh, are living more in fear. More than they used to. 
living in fear. And it also yeah. promotes another phenomena that the left is always concerned about uh, uh, is uh, uh, taking justice in your own hands. When the public individual, especially young people, don't feel like the system works, then they administer justice on their own. If there's somebody who offends them, they administer justice. Thus, you have the shootings that are involved because many people don't feel like the police can get involved because we won't let the police get involved as a society in many cases. So it's, there's more to it than, than it seems, than just on the surface. That's right. So you asked me, answer, ask me the question. Yeah. Uh, the judges uh, uh, have to balance the defendant's rights with the community's rights, individual yes. violent uh, victims' rights, and come out with the right decision. So it sounds like one of the, the cures for this is the, the solution would be, I think you mentioned it earlier, would be electing the right people. You, right. you said a little bit about that. Is that the solution to all this, Ted? I certainly believe that. Elections okay. make a difference. And I'm just talking about judges. You can't fix a bad judge. You really can't. You can't. You've got to get rid of them. You know? And the public has that choice. But you cannot force judges to do things. Um, if they're not, I mean, if they're not going to want to do that, you can't force them to do it. So there's not a remedy to, to fixing a bad judge. The remedy is the pu public gets the choice. They can vote for somebody else. <clears throat> that is the beauty of the Texas system of electing judges. In other states, like California, you have a bad judge, whatever that means to you. You can't get rid of that person. It takes, a, it takes a, uh, that person being removed from office, and then the governor appoints somebody else. The public doesn't have any control over who the judges are. That's what I'm saying. Most oh, because the system's different. Because the system's okay. different. But in Texas, you have a control. Right. And uh, that's why our ballots are so long. And people complain here in Harris County, oh, the ballot is so long. That's a good thing. We I elect, agree. We elect everybody in Texas. Everybody gets elected right. because it's our basic distrust, our heritage, our basic distrust against people in office, in government. So we elect all those people, and we are responsible for the people that get elected, not some appointed system. And it was profound that you mentioned individual responsibility. I like that because even me personally, I have zero tickets. But that's a choice because I want to be a good citizen. That's right. <laughs> and when somebody commits a crime, that's their choice they're making. That is their they choice. Can't, they can't point their finger at anybody for that. But we live in a society where people want to blame, blame. their conduct on something else, you know. Yeah, that, that, I think that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah, people... People need to take individual responsibility for their <laughs> actions. And when they're good, they're great. If they're not, as you said, there needs to be consequences yep. or they will not be scared to commit these atrocities that are happening in our communities. So as Ted mentioned as well, early voting starts February 14th. To everybody listening, February 14th through the 25th. And then election day is actually March 1st. So as Ted said, he said one of the solutions to all this crime rising in Harris County is go vote, get informed about the candidates running, vote for the best person, and every vote counts, right, It Ted? does. It yeah. makes a difference. Voting makes a difference. Yeah. Because some people say, hey, no, my vote doesn't matter. It does make but, a difference. Yeah, every vote. Yeah, because I've actually seen, I'm, I'm sure you've seen that as well, that some elections have been won by just a, a handful of votes. That's like, true. no joke. That is true. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen that throughout your career. So people ought to vote. What, excuse me? People should vote. Oh, yes, absolutely. Can you tell us more about your 
I know you're in Congress for a long time. It was seven terms. Is that correct? Correct. 14 yeah. years. So in a nutshell, can you tell us that experience and how was that? I enjoyed being in Congress. I enjoyed okay. representing the second district of Texas out in uh, North Harris County and at, at one time Liberty County and uh, Jefferson County. But uh, that's the co greatest honor, I think, of a citizen is to be in the United States Congress. It's quite a place uh, when you're there and you're in the Capitol and you think about all the people who have served in Congress since our beginning. Um, it is supposed to be the most powerful branch of government. Our founders wanted it the most powerful branch because we are accountable to the public. Right. You know, the president was supposed to be second and the judiciary was supposed to be third. I think it has flipped. I think the judiciary is the most powerful. President is second and Congress now is uh, not near as powerful as it was supposed to be and intended to be. But uh, serving in Congress, uh, uh, you, like I said earlier, you work, you work well. You have to work with somebody else to get legislation passed. Right. <clears throat> and I thought I did a good job of working with other members of Congress in both parties. Uh, while I was there for 14 years. <clears throat> so you're able to work with both parties. That's interesting that you say that. Yes. Now it's, it's so partisan. It is partisan. <laughs> it's gotten worse yeah. as being partisan. Right. Uh, and we can talk about the reasons for that if you're interested. But uh, uh, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed uh, uh, it a lot. And of course, working in Congress, you also have the responsibility uh, to take care of people back in the district and one-on-one. -on -one. People have issues that they need to deal with the federal government. And members of Congress and their staffs help them, for example, to working with the Veterans Administration or Social Security Department and all of those different agencies. Right. So you had mentioned, why has it become so partisan, Ted? Why is it so divided? Why can't, people, why can't they work together? Because the public wants it partisan. And here's what I mean by that. <clears throat> In our recent elections, going back to the Obama administration, probably his second term, in the Democrat Party, in a primary, the people getting elected seemed to be the furthest to the left. In the Republican primaries, the same is true, but they're furthest to the right. So you have, you have people getting elected that are far. Far from each other. The, ga the gap between the two is great. So when they get to Congress, they do basically what the public wanted them to do. Keep that far left perspective. Keep that far right perspective. And therefore, you don't get a lot of cooperation. You have to, to get legislation passed. You've got to work with both sides. And you can still work with both sides and not lose your principles. But that is why you have such partisan politics now is because the public is electing people to be partisan. Okay. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's the result of uh, why you have uh, uh, people of the uh, far right and far left perspective um, here in the United States Congress. And uh, they're, they're the most vocal ones, of course. Uh, the media always picks up what the, the vocal uh, people on the each far right and far left to have to say. They get higher ratings that way. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about ratings. It's not about anything else. But, yeah. you know, that's why they're in business. Well, here we want both. <laughs> we want ratings, but at the same time, we want uh, objective analysis and thoughtful conversation and very meaningful conversation. And then lastly, which is the most important, informing the audience and educating them, providing that kind of value. And that, and, uh, 
That's the uh, Jimmy. One of the things you can do that we don't we don't see uh, uh, as an observer, not even as an elected official. You're open-minded as to getting things out to the public. There are certain entities in our um, media network who are only interested in a partisan point of view. They've long since lost the objectivity of bringing the news, the facts, and letting the listener make up their decision. Right. Now they tell the listener what their decision should be on a political issue, and they've gotten so bad that they only limit to one issue. And I, I mean one partisan uh, philosophy. They don't even give both sides anymore. Um, and you find that with, of course, I'm talking about the national media, um, the state media, as I call it, because it, right. it gives the administration point of view and tells people, you got to understand this, you got to believe this, this is the gospel. And people who present a different point of view now are getting canceled. They get chastised. Who, yeah. who, who would have ever thought that in the United States of America that different points of view are not allowed? That is just crazy. Our, our whole foundation of our country is based upon disagreement. Free speech. And that's why the First Amendment has speech in it. Number one, too. <laughs> it's first in the First Amendment, that in religion. And the most controversial uh, speech is political speech and religious speech. Right. That, is the most, that was the most controversial type of speech back in uh, the 1700s when the founders were debating this whole idea. That's why they protected it, was that they wanted us as citizens to be able to voice whatever our opinion was and generally on those two issues, political and religious. But now we have gotten into a situation where we let government and we let the national state media, as I call it, they limit speech. If you disagree with the state philosophy, you can't say that. And they cancel, cancel you out. Um, and it's very disturbing because free speech is under attack. And freedom of religion is under attack as well in this country. Agreed. Uh, slowly but surely, people who have religious beliefs that may be a little different than somebody else's, they're, they're canceled, cancel culture. They are. And uh, it's very, very disturbing. Free speech is the First Amendment. It ought to be protected. Cancel culture. Just because you disagree with somebody, you can't cancel what they say. But they do. And we've seen that, and it's unfortunate that too many Americans just put up with it. Right. Well, the good thing is we have this vehicle here to get that's our right. message out to you know, over <laughs> half a million people. <laughs> and that's good. That, that was a long compliment that I was giving you, Jimmy. Thanks, Ted. <laughs> that yeah. you, that you, you do both point, points of view, but right. let we're, people hear everything. Yeah, Ted, we're holding down the fort here. Because, <laughs> yeah, out in mainstream society, they say, yeah, never talk about religion and politics, which I think is a bit bizarre, because if that's you right. never talk about it, then there's never any change. So, but here we talk about both. That's right. That's, <laughs> I go back to our American history. That's one reason we got we kicked the British out of our country was right. because they were limiting what we could say, what our, right. what our founders could say about religion and politics. And um, anyway, uh, we we should not tolerate uh, those who refuse to allow disagreement uh, a voice. Yeah, it's it's interesting because. The way our society is headed right now, uh, I feel like the truth needs to be spoken more. 
And I feel like more and more people appreciate that because I feel like it's not as prevalent in society with the uh, political correctness and trying to be very careful with what you say. And you said that as you're yourself, Ted, you're, you're, you like to be a straight shooter. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I cannot uh, uh, have never been accused of being uh, tactful. So, uh. <laughs> hey, when the truth needs to be out there, it has to be. And there's no other way to do it, but you, got, you have to be direct. That's right. <laughs> but I'll just reiterate, people should yeah. be able to say what they believe. Right. And um, government should, could, cannot, but it does, comes in and says, you cannot say that. You cannot say that. That's very unfortunate. Yeah, it shouldn't be like that, especially in a, in a free or they say free country like the United States. Well, our Constitution yeah. was written and our Declaration of Independence states that government is instituted to preserve our rights. It's not to take away our rights, it's to protect our rights. And, uh, and here we have our constant fight is with government, government control over every aspect of our life. That is, the, that is the situation Americans are in right now, government control of our life, you know. They do that in China. Uh, right, that's communism, though. That's right. right. Well, it's the, same, it's the same philosophy. They control every aspect of the citizen's life in, in China. And we're beginning to let our government control aspect of our lives. And the first thing they're doing is speech. Yeah, I feel like, speech. Yeah, I feel like it happened. It, ex, it exponentially increased over the last two years with COVID coming in. That's exactly I feel like right. I lost like so many of my rights. I, I know you probably felt the same way. But it's it's well, been it's been well, crazy what I've seen. Government comes in and says, "Look, this is a crisis, so therefore you can't do things that you used to could do because there's a crisis." Well, there's no crisis crisis exception in the First Amendment. There is no COVID exception to the First Amendment. That's true. That Congress shall make no law abridging freedom of speech. It doesn't say abridging the freedom of speech except in a crisis. It doesn't say that. Uh, but we have allowed government to do that. Yeah, I feel like in the last two years, we lost more of our personal liberties than I have, like, maybe my whole lifetime. You did? It's kind of scary for me to say that, but I know a lot of the audience out there can actually relate. And like I said, it's very scary. When government takes your freedoms individually, one at a time, government does not give them back. That's what it feels like. You have to fight tooth and nail to get those liberties back. So. And I personally, I like having my freedom and liberty. All my friends know that about me. I'm sure you do too, Ted, as well. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. The same thing kind of happened when 9-11 hit. Go to the airports and things happened there and with the TSA, et cetera. No, oh, we, yes. we did lose a lot of freedom at that time too. And it's, government hasn't given it back either. They have not. Yeah. yeah, of course. I'm so old. I remember when you went to the airport, you walked straight to the gate. And your family would go with you straight to the gate. You didn't go through security or any type of security. Then we started adding a little bit of security. Then TSA got invented after 9-11. And uh, we just accepted it. I'm not saying that's right or wrong that where they use that. Uh, we have that, but it's uh, all in the name of uh, national security. National Going to protect it, you know. And we have the, uh, the Patriot Act, which was an infringement on individual liberty. I agree. It got passed, and uh, it was supposed to go after terrorists, but it goes after Americans. And I got our government going after Americans. That's wrong. So, but it has happened incrementally over the years. Next, Ted, tell us briefly about your military career. I was in the Air Force Reserves. I served uh, 
I joined in uh, 1970. Thanks for your service, by the way. <laughs> I joined in 1970, and then I was on active duty, and then I served as a uh, on reserve duty for for six years. But I stationed here at Ellington Air Force Base, so oh, I enjoyed right that. Enjoyed that, and then after uh, I was in the Air Force, and then I went to law school and became a lawyer. All right here in Houston, Texas. Great city, right? It is. <laughs> we have everything here. If you just look out and go go seek it. Right. It's, it's pretty. It's still a very dynamic city. You know, right. Go look at some of the cities in the north and the oh, northeast. Uh, yeah. Um, they they don't have any positive personality. Houston does. It's a very dynamic place, and it's uh, as we all know, it's uh, very diverse, and that diversity has uh, uh, created more energy, I think, for for our city. I agree. So initially. Why did you initially decide to get into politics? You, you mentioned a little bit earlier, it was one of your family members that... <laughs> it's my kinda grandmother. Like, kind of like pushed you? That's very interesting. <laughs> my grandmother. So deeply influenced you. That's right. It, she, was, uh, she was the most influential person in my life, my grandmother. Really? Okay. And, uh, but she told me to be in public service, where you could do something, give something back to... She would always say Texas. She never forgave me for being a Republican, however. She was a Democrat until <laughs> the day she died. Never forgave me. She said she, was, she raised me better than to be a Republican. But uh, anyway, she encouraged me to do it, so I always was interested in politics uh, and uh, followed it closely. And I saw that as, as my uh, uh, end of my career, I should say, uh, uh, not necessarily at the beginning, but I was in public service uh, all my life. You know, I taught school in the Air Force, uh, prosecutor, DA's office here, and a uh, uh, member of Congress, and as a judge. So that's all public service. Lifetime. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's impressive. Next, we'll move on to, Ted, we'll move on to your thoughts about national politics and like, the current administration, the presidency right now. Okay. What's the specific question? Just your general <laughs> thoughts about kind of what's going on, well, where the country's headed, and do you think it's headed in the right direction, or do you think there could be something that's better going on? Just the general like leadership right now. Well, what country is, uh, my opinion, has no leadership in the White House. Uh, this is just my opinion. I think in the year that this yeah. administration's been in control, every major decision has been the wrong decision for the country. Um, we deserted Afghanistan. We took the big, biggest uh, disaster I think in U.S. military history was when we cut and ran out of Afghanistan, left billions of dollars worth of equipment there. We left Bagram Air Force Base there. Why would we ever leave Bagram Air Force Base? People need to look it up on a map. We, if we could pick an air base for national security, we would pick Bagram because of its proximity with China, to China and to Iran, two mm -hmm. of our, our enemies. So what do we do? We turned it over to them. This administration turned it over to them. Mm -hmm. Chinese will soon occupy Bagram Air Force Base destroying the energy in Texas by canceling the pipeline with uh, Canada. Keystone? Yeah, the Keystone pipeline with Canada. That was a mistake because now we're not energy independent. We, for years, our goal was to be energy independent. We finally made it. And the first thing this administration does is make us now to be dependent upon you know, uh, dictatorships, basically, for our, for our energy. Why would we do that? It was a bad mistake, and uh, uh, especially for as jobs go and before our economy goes, you know, inflation has gone up. Of course, everybody's gasoline prices are, have gone up a, as well. 
the disaster on the border, uh, I think, is the biggest travesty of this administration to allow people to invade the United States. Two million have come in the last year. Two million without permission across the Texas-Mexican border, southern border into the United States. And they weren't checking if they were vaccinated. Right? <laughs> but they want to check American people. Yeah. <laughs> that, wanted, that's kind of weird. Not, wear, you know, not wearing masks. We don't know anything about them. Hmm. Criminals, drug cartels, human traffickers smuggling in people to traffic them. And I'm talking about sexual and labor trafficking throughout the United States. That's the biggest disaster uh, of this administration. The duty of government, the first duty of government. People ask all the time, why do we have government? The purpose of government is to protect its citizens. And our government has not only protected, not protected our citizens, has encouraged anarchy and lawlessness by letting people cross into the United States without our permission. Of course, I'm all for immigration, but do it the right way or don't come. There's always a reason why they're not coming the right way. But uh, uh, I think that's the biggest disaster of this administration. Now the administration is talking about, because of the war party, I call it folks in the... United States House and Senate, who always want to go to war. Uh, we're looking for another war to get involved in, getting involved in somebody else's business. Uh, and so the president wants to protect the border of Ukraine. Says we must protect the sovereignty of the Ukraine. Well, why about the sovereignty of the United States first? That's the first obligation. So I would repeat, it, every decision, the major decision the administration has made has been a disaster for the United States, including the one of raising taxes and every decision. Next, we'll go on to Texas, the current state of Texas, and that kind of leans into what you were saying about the border, because that is more of a local issue. So how do you feel about the general leadership about the, the state of Texas right now in terms of the political atmosphere? Well, I think the, uh, the governor's office and other elected officials in the state are doing everything they can to, um, on a statewide basis, to protect the sovereignty of the United States, to keep the criminal gangs out, keep the criminal traffickers out of, uh, of Texas, and uh, keeping, uh, keeping taxes low, but th they're doing what the federal government will not do on the border, building part of the fence. Uh, the fence works. I've been down to the Texas-Mexico border almost 20 times while I was in Congress. Uh, and. I, so I, I appreciate what they're trying to do, but they can only do so much, uh, especially when they are overruled by the federal government who pushes to let people in and then move them throughout the United States in the darkness of night and giving them money. Uh, what's with that? That is just so wrong for the United States. But I think the state of Texas is doing a good job. Also, I thought the, uh, with the, the COVID crisis that we had, the, the state uh, governor making sure that we make good common decisions on uh, masks and mandates and all of that stuff. Uh, I think state government's done a good job. That actually leads me to my next question. What, is your, what are your thoughts about uh, mandating forcefully people to get vaccines and wear masks from the government? Well, the word mandate to me is a trigger word because what that, mean, right. that means is Congress does not get involved. Uh, most of us learned when we were taking ninth grade civics that the law is passed by Congress or the state legislature. And then the governor or the president can approve that law, and then it becomes law. 
Mandate means that the executive, let's use the president, uh, I'm not going to go to Congress. I'm just going to order that this take place. I think mandates are basically illegal. They're unconstitutional because Congress did not make that a law. The president makes it a law. And uh, I think the president should have been challenged a whole lot more about whether he has the authority to make these mandates. But he uses the authority and other state officials, and you find state officials all over the country who I think don't have any authority to make these mandates, making them because they claim it is a health crisis. Okay, I can just ignore the law and write out the law here as a mandate because there's a crisis. Um, just because there's a crisis doesn't mean you should avoid getting these ideas passed through the legislature of Texas or the United States Congress. So. I believe most mandates uh, are unconstitutional, and they are without um, constitutional basis, but they are made and seem to rule the day for a lot of folks. Yeah, so it sounds like what you're saying is these crises, they use them as an excuse to get more power, well, grab more power. Well, go back to 9-11. You know, mm -hmm. we, have a, we have a crisis with terrorists, Right. so we're going to— uh, Invade the Middle East. Yeah, you know, <laughs> without a declaration of war. Oh, right. You know, the wrong country because the, the people on the plane, weren't they from Saudi Arabia? Saudi Arabia. And we went into, of, I think 11 of the 19 were. Yeah, and then we went into Iraq, Iraq? and then, in Afghan, then into That's Afghanistan, yeah. in both of those countries. Uh, mm -hmm. But that was used, the crisis is used for uh, big picture. A crisis is used as an excuse to take away individual liberty, my personal liberty your personal liberty. So you go back and look at the crises that have come up. and we Historically. Have, we have less liberty as a citizen than we ever have right now in 2022 because of these so-called crises and, and actual crises. But that doesn't mean you should subvert the process of government uh, by having the executive, like now, make decisions that... Uh, affect the rest of us without using Congress as, as the basis of passing legislation. Yes, I agree. Even if, I, even if the audience members were to test themselves, is your life better off now than it was two years ago? Most people probably would answer no, because you had the loss of personal liberty. Yeah, especially if you ask that question. Do you have oh, more yeah. liberty now or less liberty now? Yeah. <laughs> and who do we have to blame? Mostly for the, the political institutions That's making right. all these rules. That's right. Even at one point, they said, hey, you can only meet 10 of your friends. Oh, isn't if you that the most ridiculous like, thing? I saw that. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe we're in the United States. I, I really couldn't believe some, some of the, the government institutions put that out there. And even, even in churches and how uh, oh, right. uh, churches, you can't have but 50 people there or 25 people there. I think that is unconstitutional as it can be. Oh, it's ridiculous. We had uh, some Orthodox uh, Jewish people. Sue finally in New York, and they won that their their lawsuit against the city of New York when the city prohibited them from meeting in large numbers. I'm glad uh, they won. I am too. You didn't yeah. hear much about it though, but they. Oh, they're not going to say. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean uh, on the national media, you didn't right. hear that. But right. uh, the churches and individual religious freedom, political freedom, the right to assemble, the right to to say what you believe, uh, has all been uh, hampered. Uh, in the last, especially the last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't want to sound like a downer, but 
things will get better. That's right. But that's we need to be we realistic. Elections. That's why we have elections. Yeah. We can fix the problems in this country. True. In other countries, you can't fix them when they, that happens because you don't that's have any true. power. Here, right. citizens have the power. Go and right. vote. You can fix these problems by right. doing that. Power to the people. Yeah. So once again, I'm, I'm an optimist. But at the same time, Ted, I try to be really realistic about what's going on. And a lot of the discussion we're having right now, they are actual things that are happening in our society. And I know a lot of the audience can attest to it as well. We're not, we're not, these are not fairy tales. That's we're right. actually living in this. That's right. And sometimes <laughs> it's hard to fathom, right? <laughs> hmm. So if I said four years ago, yeah, everybody's going to be wearing a mask out in the street. People would have thought I was crazy. <laughs> Five-year-olds are going to have to wear a mask. People would have thought you were crazy if, if that was I mean, really, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, making five-year-olds wear a mask. Yeah. If you let them go to school or get it's, it's nonsense. It's reality. So, Ted, I know that you're done with all of your most of your, your political career is pretty much done. So what current projects are you working on? Well, uh, one of my projects in uh, when I was a member of Congress was on human sex trafficking. We passed some good legislation legislation to deal with that scourge in our community uh, where we have uh, you have the trafficker, you have the buyer and then you have the victim who is primarily uh, a young person, young female. The average age of a trafficking victim is 13, and it's a female in this country. Houston, unfortunately, has become one of the hubs in the United States for moving uh, victims throughout the country. And uh, so I'm continuing to work uh, to try to solve that scourge uh, with other people. Finally, we've, we've had some good legislation, bipartisan, myself and Carolyn Maloney from uh, uh, New York, Democrat, uh, we passed legislation or sponsored legislation, passed the House and became uh, the law under Obama and passed almost unanimously in the House and in the Senate. Uh, you didn't hear much about it because we weren't fussing and fighting and feuding. We were, it's something we agree getting on. Getting work done. It, yeah, getting work done. And, <laughs> hell, and it's, it's good legislation. So it ha gives right. tools to law enforcement, uh, to uh, prosecutors to go after these uh, these traffickers. And uh, also one thing that uh, I'm working on as well that I started with bipartisan as well uh, with uh, uh, Emanuel Cleaver from Missouri was the building of a World War I memorial in Morriston, D.C. for all of the World War I uh, doughboys and troops that served in World War I. World War I. You know, in Washington, D.C., we have a, a memorial for World War II, Vietnam, and Korea, but there is not a memorial for the uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, members of the Coast Guard that served in uh, World War I. So we're building that memorial. It's going uh, to be ready probably in two, two more years. Oh, and they're still building it. Yeah, it's not, it's not finished. It's taking the time. It's, but it, it'll be real nice. It'll be good. It'll be, we owe that to those veterans. See, they're all, they've all passed they've all away. Passed, right. they're, not, they're, they're not here to, to advocate on behalf of uh, World War I, where you know, 9 million people worldwide died in World War I. 9 million Died. That's a lot. So the United States, uh, I think, uh, made the difference in winning World War I, and uh, we should honor those people who, who served. Those are a couple of things that I'm working on still. Yeah, maybe when it's done, Ted, we'll go and look at it together. Oh, I want to yeah. see that. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. It's, it's going to be very nice. I'm we should excited. remember our history. I agree. I love history. <clears throat> we, uh, I think history, we, we need to know what people did before yes. we were here and just accept the truth, not change it, not change it, Yes. Just accept it so we can do a, a better job of, uh, of our civilization. But we certainly should remember people who gave their lives for their country. 
and uh, our war memorials uh, is a constant remembrance of that and we're going to get this World War One memorial built. The war was over in 1918. It's taken 100 years to get get the memorial built. Wow. Yeah, it should have been way sooner than that. But thanks to Congressman Ted Poe, it's getting done. So, you know, that's just <laughs> We're grateful thing. that you're, you're doing that for the, the veterans. Yeah, that was a pretty significant war. But I feel like at times it gets overshadowed by World War II because it happened pretty much consecutively. That's I mean, right. it was all the, World War, the angry World War I vets that, became, that fought in World War II pretty much. That's right. The war was not over, really. World War I is... Uh, it's, it's the century of the wars, and right. so the first stage was World War One, and second stage was World War Two. You still had the same mm -hmm. combatants. Yep, didn't solve problems that you know we ought to look at history. Why didn't we fix it so that there wasn't another war? Uh, right. but anyway, that's a whole other story. We should know our history. We should certainly appreciate people who served in our military uh, years and years ago. Agreed. Yeah. So you probably didn't know this about me, Ted, but I'm a big history student myself. Well, good for you. <laughs> we share that in common. Uh, you know, I, love, a, I love history, especially oh, Texas history. It. Texas uh, is the, has the greatest history. I like I Texas. I like everything. Uh, just everything around the world that where there were interesting events that took place in time, especially like World War Two, World War One. Just, you know, momentous events that changed the course of humanity yeah. on a large scale. Next. Ted, I don't know if you're aware of some of the the censorship that's actually going on with uh, Spotify and podcasts. Have you seen some of that news going on right now? Yes. By chance, with Joe Rogan. He's one of the most popular uh, podcast hosts. What are your thoughts about that as well? Because once again, they're trying to uh, censor voices in, in the media. I know we talked about a little bit about it earlier. They should. Uh, uh, these are these are private companies, so right. they can do that. However. I think that they should lose any exemptions they have from being sued by uh, other people. Right now, they are protected by Congress gave them protection from liability from being sued, and uh, I think that they should open up, of course, to all points of view. Sure, there should be some some restrictions, but they're canceling political speech. Yes, and these they, prom prominent hosts as well that they don't agree with. Yes, you know political speech, protected by the First Amendment. And I think that they should, uh, if they are going to be a platform for information, yes. then it should be information from all sides. Otherwise, they should not, they, sh they should be uh, uh, required to give information from both sides. Not, not specifically one political point of view or one religious point of view. Um, or one so-called scientific health point of view. Uh, the experts. Th th that's right. You can't disagree with us because we said so. You know, I find that very disturbing. That's not, that is certainly not freedom. Yes. Next, Ted, what are some of, so throughout your career, what are, some of, what are some of the best moments that you remember? I feel like the World War I Memorial is pretty big. Well, it is. I, um, I, I enjoyed uh, all, all parts of my career. Uh, as, as a member of Congress and as a judge, I think as a judge, I did some things that uh, were innovative in sentencing to get people's attention. I saw that. You, and, you'd make people renovate the battleship, right? Yeah, really, battleship Texas? Part of their community service was to go uh, restore the battleship Texas, and they did. We, That's awesome. Took, I love that battleship. We put plumbers and electricians and painters and carpenters who were on probation to go out there and 
fix the battleship Texas, give them something to do, responsibility. Right. And they, they did, and nice. they helped it, helped restore it. That was just one of the many things we did. But uh, requiring people to do some community service while they're on probation was something that it, it worked, and I'm glad that I did that as well. Uh, and in Congress, uh, I enjoyed being a voice for uh, the people of Texas, uh, especially in my district. I think we got some good legislation across the board passed uh, in the 14 years that I was there. But I, I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. I think that whatever a person does, they ought to enjoy what they're doing. So and, chase their passion. Yeah, of yeah. course. And I enjoyed it. Thought I'd died and gone to heaven as wow. as a, each time, you know, yeah. <laughs> prosecutor, <laughs> judge, and as a member of Congress. So. And you like military as well. Yes. Yeah. And being a teacher. <laughs> yeah. That was too hard. That's why I went to law school, so I could... <laughs> So I could become a lawyer. Being I a thought teacher, law school was hard. It, well, I, <laughs> not as hard as being a, a teacher. Doing enough teaching. My wife uh, you know, taught school for over thirty years, and uh, it, that was just too hard for me. I so I went, <laughs> went a different route. Gotcha. <laughs> How, what grade level were you? Or high were college? School, or, oh. High school. And then I taught college after I after I um, um, went through law school. I taught uh, taught some gotcha. college courses as well. But. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, interesting. But yeah, that's. I like that you tell me that. So it's pretty much you have no regrets. You've chased everything you wanted to do, and you did it, and you're very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I have no regrets. I guess I'd make a good song or something. I don't know. Maybe someday, <laughs> yeah. We'll do it We because this is a radio station, Ted. You know that. We'll air it for you maybe right. someday. <laughs> Talk with the owner. Next, so I t we talked about best moments, which you just said is pretty much your whole career span. Now, I'm sure there were times when there was tremendous amount of adversity throughout your career. So to the audience that, de that is dealing with some hardship in their life, maybe currently, when you had a difficult moment in your life, Ted, how did you keep punching forward and moving forward? And how did you deal with those? Well, um, everybody, we all have those. And Absolutely. So uh, when, uh, when things were tough, I always would just back up a moment and, and get a better perspective of what's taking place. But I, you know, I, I think faith, having having a religious faith and conviction and prayer, I, th I believe all of that helped. So, uh, uh, but retrospect uh, and introspect were, uh, were important and, um, and having strong faith, that, I think that has made a, a big difference in, uh, in my life and the decisions that I've made. Interesting, and you're a Christian? Yes. Okay, so your, your solutions for that, it's, it's take a step back, assess the situation, and kind of recalibrate. That's right. Okay. And then get, you know, prayer. I really believe that. And then prayer. And the yeah. power of prayer and uh, my Christian faith as well. Uh, so um, that's what helped me. Interesting. Yeah, if it's helped you through all these incredible things you've done, <laughs> then it can help anybody out there, okay? <laughs> so remember that Ted said that. Next, do you, what are your... So I know you're working on that project in regards to the trafficking. What are your future plans? Is there any anything cool that you have in, in store for the future? <laughs> oh, you're still young, Ted. Oh, I am. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> you got a lot of energy. I'm going to continue to work on the, the issue of trafficking. Uh, okay. I think that is a scourge in our society. Uh, okay. Uh, human, uh, human slavery is really what it is. And, right. Uh, we. The communities don't want to talk about it because it's so awful. But I'm going to continue to work in the area of trying to stop this scourge of, of human sex trafficking. And, you know, it's, it increases, has increased because we have open borders. 
uh, drug cartels are smuggling everybody in the United States. They smuggle drugs, they smuggle guns, and they smuggle people, and they smuggle people not necessarily so that they could <clears throat> have a free existence, but they hold them in hostage and bondage, uh, and then they traffic them to pay off their uh, cost of bringing them in. And so I'll continue to work on that. Okay. Now, are you doing that on a local level, state, or national scale? Well, I'm I'm trying to do it. All I am doing it on a, a broader scale. Okay. We had legislation passed that we talk about it, talked about earlier, and I'm helping right. different organizations and law okay. enforcement and DA's offices to implement that legislation uh, wherever wherever it's needed. So. Okay. So nationally, mm-hmm. not just in Harris County, Houston. That's correct. Okay. It's Very a nice. national problem. It's an it's a national well, it's problem. Just like yeah. you know, the drug epidemic is oh, a it's national everywhere. problem. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately it's prevalent here in Houston, Harris County. Yeah. <laughs> yes but it is. Glad you're you're fighting that. All right. So one one important thing since elections are right around the corner, we discussed the importance of uh, when you're running for office. A lot of candidates may actually really need to hear this. So when they're campaigning, the importance of grassroots outreach. If you can enlighten us on that and the importance of that one-on-one engagement. Because sometimes when I see candidates at a, at, a, at, an, at a function or event, they make a speech and they say bye and they leave. They don't talk to anybody. Well, representation of uh, the community uh, means you need to know who they are. And one-on-one is the best way to... Uh, I think not only to get elected, but to know what you're supposed to do. You represent a group of people, and if it's a congressional district, it's almost 800,000 people. You need to know what they think. Right. And that you learn that by dealing with them one-on-one. That is the responsibility of an elected official, is to know their people. And you, uh, you don't really necessarily, I don't think, uh, uh, big uh, uh, ads and not necessarily are successful because they don't help you know the people. I, I give you I give you a better example. When I was in Congress, I commuted every week for 14 years. I'd fly to Washington on Monday mornings and I'd fly back here to Houston on Friday evenings. Generally did that every weekend in Congress. The reason was on weekends you come back, you get you get to uh, be back home, but you also talk to people you represent. Right. And people who move to Washington, I'm not going to criticize them, but when you move to Washington and uh, you don't have that dynamics of going back home every weekend, you lose a lot of your relationship with the people that sent you there. And I needed that. I needed to be back home. I needed to hear what they say. And of course, people, they have their opinions. Uh, and you need to hear I them. I do. You know, no matter who you are, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I, I, so that's very important, I thought, was uh, you just need to know who. Who, rep- who you represent and hear what they have to say. That is the most effective way. Uh, I think to be a good elected official is to talk to the people that you uh, that elected you. Wow, that's so profound because I think that's so effective because some of these elected officials, I never see them in town, and it's unfortunate. But <laughs> That's true. I, I really like that, Ted. But So my last question was going to be, you know, how to be successful as a politician, but I think you actually just covered it. So thank you very much. And we're going to wrap up the show for today. Former Congressman Ted Poe, thank you so much for coming to the studio to do this interview with me. It was wonderful. And to the audience, thank you for listening. We will see you next week, Monday, 12 to 1 p.m. Have a fantastic day. Bye.